This is the Next Level Running Podcast, brought to you by the expert coaches at Run Doyen, helping runners of all levels crush their goals on race day by matching you with the perfect coach or training plan. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us here again on the Next Level Running Podcast. As always, I'm your host, David Jankowski, here to kick off another long-form edition of this podcast. As all the longtime listeners know, on the 26th of every month, we drop our discussions where I talk to one of the Rundoyan coaches. Um, we have a bit of a, a conversation back and forth on topics that can help you improve your running. A lot of times, these are simple things that we all struggle with. Until you understand them, they're very difficult to catch on to. But generally, the concepts are far more attainable than you'd think. And a lot of these are little things that can really help you accelerate your training and put you on the pathway to success and achieving your goals, whatever those may be, uh, especially as it relates to running. But many of these ideas are also applicable to other areas of your life or endurance training as well. So I hope you've been enjoying these episodes so far. And as a reminder, before I start hopping into too much other things, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast if you haven't already. I know we've had a big uptick in listeners over the past few months, uh, almost actually almost doubled our viewership. So uh, make sure you're subscribed. And then two, if you would, go rank us. Whatever you think is fair. I can see that there are a lot of people who have not ranked us yet, a significant amount. So go in there, do that for us. Quick favor, rank us however many stars you think is fair. Maybe even put in a comment so that other people know what to expect when they click on the Next Level Running podcast. That would be greatly appreciated. And even better, if you really like what we're doing, share this content with any friends, family members, running partners who you think may find it interesting. Uh, we, we do a lot of work here to try to make sure that we can capture a lot of these ideas, as I said, that can help accelerate your training help you jump over some of those hurdles that, that I know I've run into as, a, as an athlete, uh, but things that had I known, you could fast track your training. So hopefully this is a good tool for everyone here and you appreciate it enough to, to give us that sort of support. Just like, share, subscribe, as they say on the YouTube. That said, this month, we've got an interesting one for you. So at the end of last month, I realized we had gone through the entire Rondoyan coaching roster. So now, if you go through all the podcasts, the long-form podcasts, you will find one episode with every Run Doyen coach on the team, which is pretty exciting. But I thought it would be great to make a capstone episode to, one, kind of celebrate that, but do something, a, a unique spin on some of the topics that we've talked about over the, the course of the past year. And one thing that really stood out to me are the misconceptions that are out there in the distance running community. And for me especially, and I think about this when I'm thinking about accelerating people's training, I know there are so many, so many silly things I was doing because I thought that was the right thing to do because that's what I'd heard, that was the impression I got, that was colloquial wisdom. But a lot of these things actually undermine your training and don't put you on the path to success to say that over and over. But I thought it would be great to have a few coaches come on, talk about some of the misconceptions that they hear from, from their athletes, that they had it themselves in their own running careers or even as coaches, uh, and maybe demystify some of those common confusions. Separate the fact from the fiction. 
And at the same time, don't feel bad if you have some of these misconceptions where you're like, I totally thought that was true. I, a lot of these I thought were true too, uh, until, <laughs> until you start running at a higher and higher level and you, you learn from somebody or you make a big bonehead move and you go, oh dang, that, that would have been a lot easier to do it this way. Uh, so don't, don't get too caught up in the fact that I believe every one of these things, or I did before this podcast, hopefully that's the, that's the, the stick, but, uh, there is a kernel of truth in a lot of these and that's why they're misconceptions that's why they hang around is because there's a little bit of truth behind them and what we want to do is highlight what what parts are truth in this what can you take away and say oh i get it but then how can you twist that and make sure you're using it to your advantage in your own training so that said what i did is i called around all our coaches we made a list of some of the common misconceptions that we've heard but also too I wanted to bring on a few coaches this month. So this month, I'll be joined by Mark Hadley, who, as we've heard in the past, has written a book on running. You can get it for free. I'll put a link in the description if you'd like to go look at that, as well as a link to his own uh, Run Doyen page if you want to look at that, and to uh, Lindsay Flanagan, another very accomplished distance runner herself, um, I think getting ready for Chicago. And uh, I put a link in the description for her as well. As we're talking about links in the description, as you all know, we also have a Facebook group up and going now, too, for the Next Level Running Podcast. You can check that out. Link in the description. Great running community. I know a lot of us have lost our running community during the COVID times. This is a good way to stay in touch with a lot of people who are excited about their running, sharing some of their goals, but also, too, sharing their successes, asking questions, bouncing things back and forth. And actually, too, last, earlier this month, rather, I went through and answered uh, many of the questions that uh, we're populating that that discussion board. Uh, so you can check out that episode too if you're curious. Check out those links in the description. A lot of stuff going on here on the Next Level Running Podcast. But without further ado, let's talk about fact and fiction, misconceptions in distance running. Uh, welcome, Lindsay, and welcome, Mark, and I'll let you guys both introduce yourselves. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm um, excited to be here. For anyone that doesn't know who I am, I am Lindsay Flanagan. I am one of the Run Doyen coaches, and I uh, specialize in the marathon. I'm a professional marathoner myself, living and training in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and I'm uh, gearing up for the Chicago Marathon. And I have so many athletes running Chicago, Boston, New York, um, and I'm really, really excited to have our big races back for the fall. And I guess it's up to me. Um, I'm Mark Hadley. Uh, I'm a coach uh, with Brendan for about four years now. I've been coaching for, for over 15 years. Um, I have been a runner for 40 plus years. It's uh, 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 just enjoy, just, just love sharing my experience and, and what I've learned about running with, with others and helping them lead them toward, towards their goals. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm losing my words. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, Mark. And two, over, over, over a hundred Boston qualifiers, like you said, right? Yeah, I've, I've coached over a hundred, well over a hundred people to the Boston qualifiers, eight different people to the Olympic trials, uh, I've coached runners from running their first 5k on, you know, to ultra marathon runners that, uh, uh, had a podium finisher at the, the Western States 100. Okay. Uh, so it, it, everyone in between, I, I love working with all, all Yeah, nice. 
wide range of uh, coaching backgrounds. Uh, and two, uh, I've also recently joined within the last year the, the Run Doyen team. For any of you who aren't familiar, David Jankowski, uh, former professional runner for Brooks and Reebok, uh, now getting my wings as a coach. Coached in high school for a few years, also uh, some small Division One schools, and now on the Run Doyen team. So rounded out, hopefully a good mix of coaches to talk about these misconceptions that we get in the running community. And, you know, maybe to, to kick this off, it when I was thinking about this when I was first preparing for this podcast, one misconception, and this isn't one that I think is common, but it's, it's something that I think helps set the stage well. Uh, a lot of us have these kind of goofy ideas that we come up with that we think will make us better as athletes. Like, hey, we could try it this way. Uh, and one guy who really stands out to me in this is, is Jerry Lindgren. Uh, a lot of people will remember that name, Olympian. Uh, 1964 made the Olympic team with Billy Mills the year Billy Mills won a gold medal in the 10,000 meters I think he's the youngest distance runner Olympian for the United States if I remember correctly 16 or 17 years old he went on to coach at the University of Hawaii where he decided you'd become more efficient if you swung both arms at the same time together because you would get increased momentum as you do this and a lot of people are probably already laughing as they they listen to this because this is one of those where you're like what how would that how would that work? But he was convinced and he started teaching this in Hawaii, this idea that you get increased uh, momentum by swinging those two arms forward at the same time, as opposed to alternating your arms as you run. And I think this is a good example of how even the most accomplished runners, people who've been very successful, can be led down a goofy pathway if you just get the wrong ideas or chords mixed. Uh, and two, to kind of hedge off anybody who's thinking, well, I have one of these goofy ideas. Even some of the greatest runners of all time have these these kind of offbeat ideas. And that's maybe a good place to get us started with maybe one of the, one of the, one of the more common ones uh, that I hear at least. And I know, Lindsay, you mentioned this too, which is when we get into running, a lot of us think we need to run fast or run hard every single day to be able to improve. That if I'm not out there and like finishing the run with my hands around my ankles, I didn't do anything today. It doesn't count. And I, I think that's a hard one to dispel for people. And it's something that even very accomplished athletes still make that mistake. Mm-hmm. So maybe, Lindsay, maybe you could start with, with your thoughts on that. What's the kernel of truth in that? Why, do, why does that maybe happen? And then two, why is that maybe not the best way to go about training? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I'm someone that that did fall victim to to that idea set. I mean, I look back at like my college career and I was never able to run to my potential because I thought every single day needed to be this grand effort. And if I wasn't, you know, running under seven minute pace, you know, that's, I might as well not even run. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things where always was running hard and then got to the races and I would just get my butt kicked. And I was like, what is going on? Like, what is, you know, what am I doing wrong? And it was once I finally graduated and, you know, started training with a new coach and we were kind of given heart rate monitors, something that, you know, I don't use anymore, but it taught me to recover because I had to keep my heart rate in a certain, you know, zone on recovery days and little, and all of a sudden, you know, my recovery runs are eight to like eight thirty pace. And I'm, you know, kind of freaking out like, wow, I, I never used to run this slow. I don't think this is going to work. But then all of a sudden my workouts are better than they've ever been. Like all my race times go down. And I think, you know, after like that year got rid of the heart rate monitor, but to this day, you know, 
10 years later, I mean, my recovery days, they're true recovery days. You know, I don't even look at my watch, which is something I know it's really hard to do because we love pace and we love to see all of those different metrics. But if you can just kind of be like, I need to do exactly what my body needs to do. And I'm not going to put it, you know, what emphasis on pace on my recovery days, you're going to find that your workouts are such better quality. And, and then your, you know, races are going to be even better. So, I mean, it is hard to tell people by slowing down, you're actually going to speed up. But as someone who has now tried it, it is, you know, something I tell all of my athletes, like don't run marathon pace on every single run. Like I really, really need you to run slower. And then they do. And immediately, you know, things get better in training. So. Yeah. And that resonates well with me when you said the, uh, I have to run everything under seven minute pace. It reminds me of the old Steve Prefontaine movie where he's like, Mm -hmm. I run everything under six minutes. And that got in my head too. So coming out of <laughs> yeah. high school, I was doing the exact same thing. And I'm sure, Mark, you probably have a pretty good perspective on this too. Yeah, no, exactly. This And this is something that I see with elite athletes uh, all the way down to, to beginners, this, this, this concept they want to run, they want to run hard uh, and stuff because, you know, they're motivated. And so that's a great thing. Uh, so usually how I start my conversations with my athletes is talking about the stress and recover principle and how, how building fitness and running works and how you have to stress the body, but then you have to allow it to recover. And if you don't allow it to recover, it's not going to get a benefit of all that, that hard work, that stress that you do. And so I take them through that process. What does a stress work? I mean, but then what does recovery mean in what, you know, in, in, in what really should we be focused on and making sure that they understand the, the focus of the day, you know, what, what are we trying to accomplish today? And if it's recovery, we need to make sure we run easy enough to recover that running fast is actually bad on those days and, and getting that concept in their mind. And, but this is something that I think universally as runners, uh, because we're motivated that, uh, to get out there and, and train and, and work, um, that, that's something that we struggle with. And so, uh, you know, I, that's the very first thing I try to cover with my runners. This is, this is how it works. And, and, we need to make sure that we're, we're executing that purpose of the day. But yeah, I see this across the board with, with runners. Yeah. It's a, if you're always smashing your head against the wall, you never have time to actually improve it. it this is maybe an imperfect analogy, but a rolling stone never gathers moss. And if you're always working and working and working, you never gain all the, the effort that you put in. So I, yeah, I think that's a, a common one that I think everyone does to some extent too. And we all get carried away. And Lindsay, that's why I like your idea too. Some days it's good to just throw the watch away because we get so caught up and we can't separate the tool from the purpose of the the run to tie both of your ideas together. I think another one, Mark, you brought this up. And this is this is kind of a more in vogue thing for the marathon. But those Yasso 800s, a lot of people, that is, if I'm going to do a marathon, the key to success is a bunch of Yasso 800s. And Maybe first break that down because some people are like, what? what the heck is a Yasso 800? And then let's let's break down, you know, what does this do for us? And maybe why not the best workout? Right. Yasso uh, uh, 800s are, are uh, a workout that you, it's a series of 800s. It's usually either you can see it in a couple different forms, usually eight or 10. A lot of times it's 10 800s. Uh, with a with a quarter mile jog in between a minute uh, um, the, the 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 philosophy or theory behind it is that whatever time you can average you can run uh, for the for the equate equates to your time in a marathon so let's say you ran 330 per 800 then you would be ready to run a 330 marathon and uh, you know 
for some people that, that, that works out, but really what the Yasuo 800s are doing, that, that's really an aerobic power workout. That's really a VO2 max aerobic power workout. And it's a fairly good indicator whether or not your aerobic power is ready to run that type of marathon time. So it, it, it's, it's not a bad workout in essence, but, but I think that the part that most people miss is usually it's not your aerobic power that determines how well you're going to do in a marathon. It's you, that's usually not the, the, uh, the thing that's holding people back in, in their marathons. And so their aerobic power might be ready to run a 330 marathon, but their endurance might not be ready to run a 330 marathon, in which case, you know, that the SO 800s is not going to be a good predictor for them. Or, or really that effective of a workout for, uh, for preparing them. It, it's good for building efficiency and for building aerobic power, but ultimately it's probably not the most important part about running a marathon. So it's uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't understand why I ran, you know, four hours when my Yasuo 800 said I was going to run 330. Yeah. And, and I think maybe that's the biggest problem with the Yasuo 800s isn't what it is for a workout. It's the perception that this predicts my marathon i can run a couple 800s at this pace so therefore that's my marathon time and i think that leaves people sometimes it gives you a false sense of confidence when you get to the line and other times too it leaves you disappointed in a race that you should have been excited about Lindsay, have you run into the yasso 800s or 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 any any similar types of perception in, in your experience yeah, recently, actually, I was even talking to a good friend that was trained and she told me she was doing these Yasso 800s. And this is something like I'd heard of it, but I really hadn't looked into what it was. And she's she's telling me about this this workout in my head. I, you know, it's a fine workout, but that's that's just nonsense that that's going to tell you what your your marathon, you know, predictor is. So when I when I asked her, you know, why, why, why are you doing this workout? And she's like, well, you know, I Googled it and, and it said I should do this. So I think that's kind of a reason why a lot of us fall for these kind of things that just don't really make sense is because you you googled it and it came up and you know if people say it's good it must be good but in reality I kind of heard the workout and I said you know I think you'd be better suited doing you know a tempo run or something at marathon pace than than just doing these you know 800s and and that's a great point because it almost brings us back to the the first one too is sometimes doing the hardest possible workout or the one that really makes you feel like you're smashing your head against the wall isn't necessarily the best one to get you where you want to be on race day. And a workout mm-hmm. that's more in between, like a tempo, for instance, may be a better way to innervate that that system and get you set up better. Uh, so that's, that's a great point as well. Maybe, uh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I, I often tell people, I say, look at what your limiting factor is. So I mean, what's, what's keeping you from running a faster marathon? Is it what you can run 800s in? Uh, probably not. It's, it's, it's probably endurance or, or stamina or efficiency or something that we need to, something else that, that we need to work on. And that's going to be, a, you know, how we do on workouts that address that system is going to be a better indicator on, on what kind of shape we're in. Um, if we want to, you know, measure our VO2 max aerobic power, that's probably a good workout to be able to do that. But uh, uh, usually that's not people's limiting factor. Yeah. No, I... I'm, I'm thinking back now to all the times I was getting ready for a marathon and thinking, man, I can't run one, 155 for an 800. I'm going to, I'm going to blow up on marathon day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, that's a good point too. All right. So let's, let's keep things moving. Cause I've got quite the list here. I want to make sure we can get through as many as possible during this episode. So for the third one, another one that, that came up, Lindsay, you mentioned this one is a lot of people think, uh, you know, I don't need to fuel for long runs. I don't need to practice fueling when I'm doing uh, my marathon training segment. I'll be fine on race day. They've got water and stuff stuff there for me. This is one I run into a lot too. 
maybe Lindsay walk us through why this one might not be the best best uh, idea when you're jumping into a marathon. Yes, yeah. When I start with you know all my athletes, you know I, I ask them before we even start the buildup. Okay, what has your like fueling kind of looked like? And you know normally they're like, oh, I mean. I might stop at the water fountain and have a little bit of water when I'm running, but you know, in reality, you know, I, I don't really think about it too much. And, and right away I, I tell them like, wow, you know, if you can really nail your fueling that just like from personal experience can be such a game changer in a race. So right away I, you know, I start telling them, you know, research shows, you know, for, I mean, everybody's different, but if you could even get 40 grams of carbs an hour, like that's incredible. Like you're going to, it's going to make such a big difference. And you know, they'll be like, oh, but I, I don't want to hold them. I don't want to carry them. It just kind of is like an extra burden on, on long runs. And, and I, and I understand that, but as someone who for their long runs goes out and I set out bottles, like with my fluids, like all along, like a course, I know it's a hassle, but I also know how much better I feel, you know, doing that. And, and not even, you know, it is really important to practice what you're going to have on race day. But more, more importantly is you're going to bounce back from these long runs so much better if you fueled right than if you just didn't take anything on a, on a hot day and you maybe had one sip of water and, and no carbs. So that's something, you know, even when I write my training, I remind my athletes like every week, I like, I, I really need you to make sure that you fuel well during this. And then I'll ask afterwards, like, okay, what did you actually take just to make sure they're being held accountable? And sometimes we're like, oh, you know, I, I could have taken a little bit more, but like over time we gradually get to the point where, you know, they're practicing exactly what they're going to do on race day. And they're like, wow, I feel a lot better. And I'm like, I know you do. <laughs> it, this was a bad one for me, uh, even during when I was running professionally. And it, and it wasn't mm -hmm. so much because I think it was a misconception. It was just, it was an afterthought. I was mm -hmm. like, the run is what I want to do. And I didn't think about the fueling side of things. And so I just neglected it. And that's why, mm -hmm. it's like you said, I, I do that too, where I remind all my athletes, hey, think about what you're fueling with today and how that, how that responds, how that might work on race day too. Because you're right, you feel so much better. And going back to what we talked about before with recovery, well, how do you, how do you make sure your training is setting you up as good as possible It's recovery? Mark, did you have anything mm -hmm. to add on this one? Um, yeah, I, I like to remind my athletes that your stomach is trainable just like the rest of your body is trainable. And so um, it's important to, we're going to want to do this on race day, so we need to be prepared to do it. The body needs to be ready to do it. But I, what I find is a lot of people that ha have different uh, uh, GI issues and, and stuff, and some can't take things with gluten in it, and some can't take this and that. So, you know, these, these long runs are, are great uh, to, to train the stomach and figure out what works best for us so that we're ready, ready to do that on, on race day. It's an important part of our, our, our training to figure out and train the body to, to be ready to go. And, and so there's no surprises on race day. You don't want to try a new gel on race day and have it not, uh, you know, not work and sabotage all the work you did for the race because you're in the porta potty at, uh, you know, the halfway point. Um, so it's, it, it, you know, it's just a good, uh, um, uh, mindset to get them in and, 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 help them understand that this is this important part, like, like Lindsay was saying, you know, it helps you recover better uh, from training. It keeps you from, from bonking in training, which we don't want to do, uh, you know, so, cause it, you know, it just takes so long to recover from it. So this is all, you know, important part of it that, that, that we have to figure out and in training, it's a whole lot better time to do that than in the race. That's an excellent point because it reminds me, you know, because you think, oh, I can just take whatever the race is giving and, Maybe it's a Thanksgiving race and they're like, hey, let's do pumpkin spice gels. And that is just, 
does a number on your stomach, perhaps, because it's not the sugar content or whatever it is that you're used to, or they do caffeine-only gels, and you're, you don't like to have caffeine, uh, and it sends your stomach for a loop. So, yeah, that's an excellent point, too, is a lot of this is practicing what we'll do on race day, so that when we get to race day, there's, there are as few unknowns as possible. Because you want it exactly. to be, there, there are going to be enough things that come up that you don't want to deal with. You don't want to add to that list. So keeping things rolling, Mark, I'll give you this one because you've coached such a wide array of athletes. But one I hear constantly, no matter who I tell when I say, hey, yeah, I, I run or I, I ran professionally for a while. They say, oh, your knees, they must be terrible because all runners have bad knees. My uncle, he used to run and his knees are, are awful. So let's, let's break this one down. Yeah, I told him I, I've run for 40 years if never had any knee, knee troubles. Uh, it, it generally, whatever is is running, it, actually the movement and running and, and, and are very good for the joints. It's usually people end up hurting their joints when they play pickup game of basketball or soccer or something. And then the running might aggravate an already existing injury. Uh, but generally, uh, uh, people, as long as their running form is 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 realistic, is you know, is is, is nothing too crazy. Uh, running is, is, is good for your joints. And, and there's lots of different studies that have been done that, that show that, um, that, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a good excuse for a lot of people not to go out there and run because, Oh, well, I don't want to hurt my knees. And so they, they don't do it, but you know, if they have a old football injury or something, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there are better forms of exercise, but, uh, uh, the running itself, uh, for, for, for people that do that without any pre-existing injuries, uh, generally, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen that, uh, that running causes anything. If anything, it, it, it actually helps them uh, up for longer. And as someone who's run 40 years without a knee injury, I, I you know, I, I'd be a hard one to convince that it's bad for your knees. I agree with you. Without like a traumatic, like, hey, I, I took a weird step coming down a hill and rolled something or whatever. This one has never, never tracked with me. And like you said too, most of the studies do not seem to, to confirm this. And the same thing with like bone density. Uh, really increases bone density in the lower limbs and lower back and and especially people who are at risk for like osteoporosis and things like that you can really increase the density of those bones so that they're they're much stronger much longer if you're running well if you're training well and you're not overtraining and just you know going crazy like you mentioned Lindsay, did you have any any other thoughts on on the the knee thing and is that a question that you still get pretty often I, I do hear it from time to time, but to build on, you know, what Mark was saying, like I had an athlete just the other day, you know, was playing volleyball, you know, and then hurt their knee doing that and then tried to run and the running made it worse. So again, not really the running that's, that's doing it. It's normally like these other funny, like random things that pop up that are probably causing the problem. Well, and I think a big part of that too, is it's, it's the types of activity activities that I don't do often, but I do mm -hmm. them hard. And because I'm fit, because I run. I can do things harder than maybe I could have and I can put extra stress on things because like when I go play pickup basketball, I can last a lot longer than I could if I didn't run. And I, mm -hmm. and maybe that's, this is speculation now, but maybe that that's where these knee injuries come from is you're just a heck of a lot more fit. And so you can, you can <laughs> do things that you shouldn't be able to do laterally. And yes. Running typically isn't lateral unless you're doing something very odd and talking to <laughs> Jerry Lindgren or somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, this, this kind of rolls into a good other one, which is shoes. I think a lot of, especially new runners, they think eh, any shoes fine. Doesn't matter. I can get out there and, and run in anything. I pick up the, 
whatever the Kmart special, that's good for me. Good to go. Let's break down shoes. Lindsay, I'll kick it to you first, and then we'll go back to Mark. Yeah, and, and, and as a new runner, it is really hard to to know what to do. Some, you walk in, you pick what's on sale. But as someone who did that when they first started running, like immediately had issues. And then you go in and you actually get your gait analysis. They look at your feet. And, and I always recommend, like I know it takes maybe five minutes longer at the store, but go to the store and have someone check out your feet, a trained employee, and they can tell you, you know, are you neutral? Do you need stability? And from there, you have endless options. But if you go in and, and you're just not sure and you start running in something, you know, I even had an athlete today that we're running a marathon soon and, and she wanted to try one of the new super shoes and it just ended up wrecking, you know, her shins. And it was just a shoe that does not work at all. So I think sometimes we see, oh, but it works for everybody else. It's got to work for me, but we're all so different that it's just not really good to go with, with that mentality. No, absolutely. And I, I think there's always a reluctance. It can't be, it can't be that much better or it's the shiny new fast one that everybody else is wearing is the one I want rather than the one that fits me the best. And that's most effective for me. Mark, I, I see you smiling. You've got some thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell, I tell runners, if, if you've run for a long time in a certain style of shoe, um, you know, stick with it. If it works for you, stick with it. I see, I, I've seen many runners, you know, like something new will come out and they're like, oh, I, maybe I should do that. And they'll do that. And it, it doesn't work for them. It causes a, a, a shin problem, an ankle problem or, or, or something. And I'm like, well, why did you switch? You've run for 10 years in this other shoe and it's worked good for you. Stick with it. But but I definitely agree on the on the, on the sports stores. That's one of the first things I do is go to a good running store, let them check you out, put you on the treadmill, check out your form, see whether or not you need a uh, you know a stability shoe or a, a a cushion shoe or sort of what you need, what how wide is your foot, that type of information to get you in the in, in the right shoe. If you're not able to do that, if you don't live in an area, you know, if you live in a rural area and you don't have that, and you're just ordering shoes online. I recommend most people go with, uh, uh, you know, um, I was at a conference a, a while back and they were talking about the uh, uh, the physiology of the foot and the stride and everything. And they said, uh, basically 80% of the population are best off in, in, in a, a neutral uh, running shoe. And, but, but about 40% of, of all running shoes sold are stability shoes. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there. So I tell people when you're, when, when you're in doubt, if you don't know for sure, go with, um, uh, a, a neutral shoe, and then uh, you'll move if you need to. But you know, best case is that if you can uh, go to a running store, let them check you out. A running specialty store, let the uh, let, let the people who have some experience in training in it help guide you on that. Uh, uh, but you know, worst case, start off within a, with a neutral shoe and look at your your wear pattern on your shoe, and that'll tell you some information about really. How are you hitting and, and, and maybe if you need to make a change there. But uh, um, usually the, the, the gadget that uh, uh, everybody is, is, is thinking is going to work miracles for them, usually across every industry, that usually doesn't work out. So, so be careful of those things. Uh, don't hurt yourself trying to gain that extra half a percent that you think some magic shoe is going to give you. Right. Yep. The big percents come from doing the training, doing it right. Not, not from the magic gadget that, that you threw on today, that magic Jersey. And I think another one, even too, we could do shoes for a long time, I think, cause there's a lot within there. Another one uh, in shoes that I think is important is the size. Uh, a lot of people want to fit them like a dress shoe or, or, or a normal like walking around shoe, which is a little too tight because as you exercise, your foot will swell a bit. So it is good to have some space. And if you're somebody who comes up with a lot of black toenails, 
it's probably because you just need to go half size bigger with that shoe so your your foot has room to move around without smashing the the front of the shoe um like i said we could do shoes for a long time we'll do one derivative of shoes that i think is particularly apt maybe it's not quite as common now but for a very long time there was a craze that barefoot running was the end all be all that was how i'm going to get foot stability i'm going to i'm going to decrease injuries and i'm going to become a great runner because well the kenyans the kenyans don't run with shoes so why should i <laughs> mark maybe I'll, I'll let you do this one first then we'll kick it over to Lindsay. yeah this uh um you know, I, I, I've heard that from from a lot of runners over the years uh, uh, that were sort of getting to, or they read an article or something about they, they should be doing this, and I'm I'm like, well, you know, they're like, well, that, that you know, that's how people long ago, you know, that they would they didn't have shoes and they would go barefoot everywhere and they were they didn't have all these problems, all these injuries. I said, yeah, but they they weren't running on, on co- concrete and asphalt and they weren't sitting in chairs at behind a computer for for ten hours a day, and so. Um, <laughs> You know, we're we're not in that situation, so we can't expect to do what that uh, you know that situation does. Is that there's a lot of technology that's gone into the shoes to make running safer and more efficient for the situations that we find themselves in, and that's you know a lot of times running on harder surfaces and and uh, um, you know just just uh, for the protection. And I tell everybody, it's, it's just like you make a big change at one time, that's a lot of stress on the body. It's very hard for the body to adapt to that. So if you went from running always in shoes to always barefoot, you're probably gonna get hurt. Just like if you run you know, on a treadmill all the time and then you run on the road all the time, you don't give yourself a little bit of a transition. That can be a problem as well. These big changes are, uh, can, can, can cause a lot of problems. And so we have to be careful about going crazy with uh, uh, you know, making big changes and expecting the body to immediately adapt. The human body is amazingly adaptive, but it, it, it's got to be slow and gradual and over time with consistency. Um, but yeah, I think for, for most people in, in practicality, barefoot running is is not uh, something that's uh, uh, you know uh, going to be very effective or very practical for them to be able to do. Yeah, and I, I, I do think it can be a good supplement and kind of that's what you're getting at, but it's, it's more like, a small thing that you slowly add over time and you slowly let your body adapt to it. And I think the issue is a lot of people who got excited about barefoot running or, or are oftentimes go from, like you said, a, a shoe they've been wearing all their life, a bigger, more bulky shoe with a lot of padding underneath it to nothing. And yeah. the body just cannot, it's, it's like, well, there's too much going on. And then it, it has to compensate. And oftentimes compensation leads to injury. Uh, and I, I've seen that to be a problem over and over and over. I've had uh, I've had a couple of runners that were really adamant about about giving it a try. So we what we did is, is we we do a normal uh, form drill workout or, or, or session, you know, a couple times a week. And what I had them do is 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 jog around the grass soccer field a couple of times barefoot afterwards as a foot strengthening exercise. Uh, and, and, and that worked well. It gave them something to do uh, uh, barefoot, but it wasn't so much that it was going to uh, you know be too big of a stress for the body to adapt. Exactly. I totally agree. Lindsay, have you seen similar things? Any, any additional thoughts on the barefoot running side of, of things? No, you guys, you guys pretty much nailed it. I, I can honestly say that in my, you know, 15 years of running, I don't think I've ever run barefoot, so I don't have a ton to add, but I, I think I'm going to stick with shoes. So (laughs) fair enough. No, I, I, I think for most people, I think that's, that's the best model to stick with is stick with a shoe. If you can get into a running store and get fitted, do that. If you can't, I think, like Mark said, neutral shoe. Neutral shoe is a great place to start. 
Get one that just feels comfortable. It should feel good out of the box. You don't need to break these things in. You're paying enough money for them. They shouldn't have to break in. Is what I say. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, but another one that maybe we run into uh, pretty often is uh, your body type is one of the biggest things that dictates what you'll be as a runner. You have to be slim and lean. That's it. Petite, small person. Otherwise, you'll never be a great athlete. Lindsay, do you want to hit that one first and then we'll kick it over to Mark? Yeah, I think that that's something that you hear pretty often. But now, you know, I've been running a long time and running professionally now for about, you know, seven years. And and I can say you get on the starting line with people that look just like you and look completely different than you and you all finish, you know, really close to one another. So I can honestly say that, you know, everybody's so different. You should never try and change your body to look like somebody else to get, you know, an outcome in a race because really, you know, you got to work with what you have and use that to the best of its ability. So I think that's just a total misconception that, yeah, never try and change your body to look like someone else. Like you, everybody can run and and do really well with, with what they have. Oh, absolutely. No, and and I think one of the biggest things that, that really comes into this one is there's a the big danger that lean, 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 lean. And this is where a lot of eating disorders come from for especially young kids who are getting into running, uh, both mm-hmm. men and, and two women, uh, especially at the college and high school level. I see this a lot. Um, but then, too, I think it pushes people away from running because mm-hmm. they think, oh, I, I'm just not built like that. But a lot of times your skill or your thing that makes you particularly good at running may not be the body type. It may be the way that you, you can respond to endurance activities. It's a lot different. Or maybe you can be very efficient in a way that somebody else can't be, even though they're, they're slim. Or the way that your body cools itself is far more efficient than the person next to you, even though they look lean. And mm-hmm. there are all these components that can make you a great runner and a great athlete that are just totally missed by, well, am I this height and this weight? Uh, Mark, do you want to add to that one? Yeah, no, absolutely. I would just echo what you, what the two of you have been saying. That it's uh, uh, we come in all different shapes and sizes. It's about figuring out what sort of works best for us. And there's, you know, luckily I, when I came up in in running and, and, and when I really got into the sport, uh, there were some elite uh, uh, runners, uh, particularly marathoners that I looked up to, who were completely different in body type. Seiko uh, uh, Di Castella and Bill Rogers. They were all just completely different body types. And, and they were all running about the same times and in, in, in winning races and stuff. And so I think it was good for me to see that because then I, I didn't think that there's one way I had to be. I just had to figure out what works best uh, for me. And, and you know, the, the human body, like I was saying earlier, is amazingly adaptive just with consistency. Uh, it, it, and it will naturally gravitate to whatever's most economical for it. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just a, a process of the training and let your body, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, morph into whatever is right for it, not what some ideal picture of what it should be. And that that's a great point too, is because over time your body just kind of eats up all that work that you've put in and it becomes the more ideal form of itself for the activity that you're trying to do. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a fantastic point to, to capstone that one on. We've got a hot pace going, so uh, we can roll on to the next one. I think, so the next one, relates kind of to one of the earlier ones about practicing fueling. And I think another mistake that people make when, when we're talking about practicing fueling for a marathon or, or a longer race is they think, well, people say hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. And so they just hammer the water. And I, I have a personal anecdote on this because I had somebody ask me this once at a race. They're like, well, you've, you've done pretty well at races before we're getting ready for a 5k. And he said, you know, I just have a really hard time with stomach pain before a race. 
and I think it might be a hydration issue. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I mean, maybe we can talk after the race. We'll see. We'll see what's going on. And he goes, okay, yeah, well, we'll see you at the race line. And sure enough, I see this guy at the race line, and he's got two big cups of water as he's walking up to the line, and he downs them both, and then gets on the line right before the gun goes off. And we finish, and I was like, did you, did you have a stomach ache again? And he was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I was like, I have an idea. I, I, I have an idea. Um, so, of course, that's a more extreme version of this, but I think a lot of times especially when we're getting new into running, we, we get that hydrate, 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 which is a, it's great advice, but we take it too far. Uh, maybe Mark, maybe we could jump into that one first and, and then we'll kick it over to Lindsay. Yeah. A few years ago at a, at a, uh, at a coaching conference, uh, uh, one of the, uh, the experts in exercise science was talking about um, really what they, and he works at some of the bigger marathons in, in uh, uh, coordinating aid stations and stuff. And he said, a lot of times they, a lot of what they see in the, in the medical tender, people who have, uh, have gotten their, their, their body out of whack because they, they've taken, you know, uh, they walk through every water station and they've taken, you know, just glass after glass of water thinking that was the right thing to do. And they've uh, diluted their electrolytes so much in their system that it's uh, uh, they're actually overhydrated as opposed to, to dehydrated, which can be even more toxic. Uh, uh, so you have to be, you know, uh, uh, careful with that. So you can't go overboard with, with any of that. So that's what I, I give my runners guidance on their long runs. This is how often and how much uh, fluids we want to take. And we'll tweak that based on, on how things are going and how we feel. And based on the weather conditions, but giving them some some guides on that because uh, you yeah you can you can get into uh, you know I've seen I've seen it all from people who just refuse to take anything to to people who are you know you know like you said <laughs> going into start lines of five Ks with multiple cups of of, of waters. It's uh, um, I think it's it takes a little time to find that sweet spot, but but yeah, Lindsay, have you had? had this kind of experience too with any of the people you've coached or even to made this mistake yourself? Yeah, I definitely haven't. I think I found that like hydration, especially before a marathon, like it, it comes like the days before, like you're not making up for that like morning of. So you need to be like really diligent about that ahead of time. And, and again, I think like, drinking like to thirst and not overdoing it and making sure that you're not just drinking water, but you're also getting electrolytes in. But, but yeah, I've made this mistake myself, but in the morning, like, you know, of a marathon, like, again, I always say like control everything you're able to and practice everything you can. So again, like when I wake up every day, I have probably like 16 ounces of water and that's what I drink before the marathon. And, you know, maybe I'll sip water, you know, before the start, but really besides that, I think like we're nervous and you're like, Oh, I need to chug another bottle of water, but you don't like, I don't ever do that. So why would I do that? You know, on like the day of like my biggest race. So I always say like, just stick with what you've done and, and don't overdo it. Yeah, and I think that's great advice is going back to one of one of the earlier pieces of advice. Practice what you're going to do on race day and then execute that. Uh, don't mm-hmm. don't go change a bunch of things on race day because oh my gosh, it's race day, it's a special day. Uh, I think that's a that's another actually an accidental misconception now. That's not one I have listed, but I think that's one that comes up commonly too is you know, it's race day, I need to do all these special things. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely not the case. And maybe Lindsay, you could talk about that your your race day routine. How does that how does that change from your regular like hard day routine? Yeah. I mean, I was even telling someone this the other day, like I going into a marathon, you want like as little stress as possible. So if I can be dialed into like 
all the things I can control from like, you know, what I eat the day before, what I drink the day before, even a couple of days leading up, like what I have for breakfast. Like, you know, I'm even down to like exactly how much caffeine I want, like with like caffeine strips, because it is, it's like these little things that I don't want to have to worry about any of that on race day. So the more you could just like have that dialed in and you're not, you just wake up and you go into autopilot. You're like, Oh, I do this every single day. I don't need to like do some fancy thing just because it's, you know, race morning. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, have you seen similar kind of thing? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I love what, what Lindsay just said. I want her to, to put that on a tape and let me show that to all my runners when it gets to race week. Uh, because they're always, they always want to try because they read about something. I need to, to, to change this in my diet and I need to change this in my water and, and stuff. And, and we're talking about hydration. One of the big points is uh, uh, the fact that the body can only absorb so much at a time. So if you go down 40 ounces of water, most of that's going to come back out. Uh, uh, you, your body can't absorb that much at one point, you know, at any one point in time. It's, so you have to break out hydration throughout the day, uh, which I think is a good point because I, I see runners get crazy about that, especially on race day when they feel like they got to um, overhydrate. Uh, but yeah, you know, pr predictability uh, is, is, is great in running because that's how we, uh, you know, especially when it comes to, to, to your taper and race week and stuff. And it just brings peace of mind to knowing I'm not doing anything different than what I've always done and stuff and, and the challenge ahead of me, I'm prepared for. Uh, and that, that just brings a lot of peace of mind and having that routine, that schedule and knowing that you've practiced everything that you're gonna do uh, just sort of uh, brings a lot of uh, a peace, but also is gonna help you uh, uh, you know, perform better on your, on your, your goal race. Yeah, no, always better to, to trust the plan, execute the plan that, that you've been putting forward. The one I always like to say is the haze in the barn or I'm, I'm from Idaho, so we say potatoes are in the silo. Uh, so that way we're ready to rock and roll on race day. You don't need to go change a bunch of things. You've done the work. You're ready to go. Thinking too about training. We talked a little bit about, about this too, that you got to run fast every day, but there are a few other components of that that I think are common misconceptions as well. And one of those is today was too stressful. Something was going on. Maybe I was a little bit sick. I missed a workout. I have to make that up tomorrow or, you know, however you, you end up doing that. And I think that's a, that's a common thing that people get concerned about. How do I deal with this? I need to do it immediately because if I miss this one workout, the whole training segment is blown out of the water. Mark, I'll let you kick this one off. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And that's, that, that's one I run into a lot and, and constantly fighting, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that misconception uh, about missing miles. Like, uh, I wasn't able to run today. I had six schedules, so I'll add three to the next two days. No, it, the, the body doesn't work like that. That, 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 that actually that almost always causes more problems than, than, than it solves. Sometimes you just have to put the past behind you and move forward from there. And that's when I, I bring them back, you know, I try to bring my runs back to that stress and recovery cycle. What, what is the purpose of today? If we add three miles to our easy run tomorrow, is it really an easy run anymore? Um, you know, is, is that, uh, you know, the body doesn't know how many miles you ran this week. It just knows did you, how hard did you stress it? And then did you let it recover enough? Uh, and so we have to break it down and look at it in those smaller uh, segments. You know, ideally if we're, you know, we're consistent and stuff over time, yes, we can look at weekly mileage and all that type of stuff to help us get, get a gauge. But on a micro level, we have to look at it just what is the purpose of, uh, of today? And, you know, you, you, you can't chase the miles. You can't, add stuff because then you make a recovery day not a recovery day or you push yourself over the edge on a stress day because you're trying to do too much because you missed a workout earlier in the week 
and it's, uh, you know, so it's just, you, got, you have to operate in the moment. You have to plan for the bigger picture, but you have to operate in the moment. And, you know, often uh, that causes more problems than, than, than not if you try to add back uh, extra miles in workouts. And I think that's tough advice for a lot of people who get into running because a lot of us tend to be type A people where we really like to make sure everything's in order and that we're making all that progress. And so when we lose a piece on our checklist, a lot of times that, that throws us off. But I, I think this is a great thing that running is, and it has been for me, is it's taught me to be more flexible and to really, like you said, understand the whole overarching process and where we're going, but but reacting to, okay, well, where are we in the moment and how does this fit into that bigger picture and how could I be undermining tomorrow by doing something foolish today? And yeah. having that kind of dual mentality there, I, I think has been great, not just in my running, but it's also helped me in other areas. Yeah, I- I think it's great to, to, to remind runners that of the big picture, it's, it's, it's all of the workouts that you've done over the course of your training cycle that's going to determine how well you do, not any one workout. Mm-hmm. You know, any, any one workout is, is not overly important. And I, 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 le- I work with an elite level marathoner who, who would, uh, you know, she, she had a couple issues and would routinely miss, uh, uh, have good work she'd have to stop she'd have a hamstring problem or, or or something that she was dealing with and that would would cause us to have to, to miss a few workouts but she was able to put that behind her and move on to the next one and she always performed well on race day so I told you know people you don't have to hit home runs every time up you're not going to hit home runs every time up sometimes you're going to have strikeouts sometimes you're going to have misses and that's okay that's all part of the process learn what you can from it and move forward you know if, it, if it's a missed workout because she had something else that was more important that day that's that's part of the process. That's okay. We can adapt to that. We just you know don't have to over go overboard in our reaction to it and then cause us other problems. Yeah, absolutely. Lindsay, any uh, any additional thoughts on those missing missing days? Yeah, you guys, you know, you summed it up well. But I think as a coach, I mean, I don't really believe in in making up workouts. Like if if you missed it, we normally we move on because once you start like really trying to add in all these extra days, like it really just messes up the whole week. And so I'm like, all right, we're just going to move on. Like, and I do that in my own training. Like if a day is missed, like that day's over and we're just going to carry on, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, as long as it's one or two days in a segment, no big deal. If it starts to become mm-hmm. habitual, then that's a, that's a separate kind of problem. Uh, yes. and, and that's when we have to think about different things. And that's, you just reminded me of that. That's, that's one thing I really try to hammer home with my, my athletes that I work with is if, one day here and there, not a big deal. And oftentimes one day off today is better than two weeks off next week. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the way I try to approach it. And it, it helps me feel better about it when I was a runner is thinking, hey, taking today off is part of my training. It's a good thing for me uh, sometimes, right? Maybe rolling with that. Uh, another one that kind of comes up fairly often, and it's another one of those where I want to get as much training in as possible, especially in marathon training. A lot of people like to have very long, long runs every week in their segment and especially getting really close to their marathon or maybe even to like a milestone long run. I need to have a 25 mile or otherwise, how am I to know I can run 26? Uh, I think these are questions that come up often and are maybe misconceptions as well. Lindsay, did you want to maybe take that one to start? Yeah. And and that's something I see all the time. You know, I have runners that are like, oh, you know, I only want to run three days a week, but I want to run 50 miles, but that's okay. I'll just run 20 or more every single Sunday. And it's okay. Like I'm going to get the miles in. I'm like, well, that's, that's not exactly the way I I would, you know, structure your week because yes, the long run is 
really important, but it's the other days, you know, it's the workouts, it's the recovery runs. It's like the whole big picture. It's not just the long run that's going to make or break your, you know, your marathon. And, And in reality, like when I structure my athletes training, like the longest I have them go in a buildup is 20 miles. And it's only once, like you don't need to do that every single weekend to have a successful race. And, and you don't need to run 26 miles before, because in reality, the amount of time it's going to take to recover from doing that is probably going to be detrimental to your race in the end. Mark, did you have any additional thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think this is where comparison uh, between runners causes a problem. They they have a friend who's maybe a higher mileage runner and they're not a high mileage runner and they see them running 20 miles every week. That may be fine for them. That may be where they're at. Uh, but it doesn't mean that that's what I should do. Uh, and, and I think we get into that that comparison thing and, and people get things in their mind. Well, I know John ran a good marathon and he does 20 miles every weekend. So that must be the right thing to do. Well, it may be right for John, but it might not be right for me. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's probably where a lot of it uh, uh, comes from. But but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I tell my runners, we have weeks we plan to, to, to run less, but maybe we're going to add some quality into that long run or maybe we're, we're going to mix it up. You know, I, I tell people we don't want to, it's like pushing a couch across the room. We want to get a couch to the other side of the room. If we just push in one spot, we're just going to end up spinning around in circles. So you have to push a little over here and then you have to go to the other side and push a little bit. And if you, you push all these different angles, you get the best leverage to make the most benefit. So we can't just do the same long run all the time. We have to do little different things to work different angles so that we, we, we get the best endurance that, that we're looking for. Yeah, I, I, I see that one a lot, and I think you guys <laughs> covered it pretty well. Maybe the only thing I would add is um, I, I think, to me, a lot of where this one comes from is many people who get into the marathon, the marathon's not the first distance they run. They've done a 5K, they've done a 10K, maybe they've done a half. And in prep for those, before a 5K, oftentimes you do jog an easy 5K. That's part of your training for a 10K. A lot of times a six-mile run isn't, isn't that atypical for a long run, especially. And even up to a half, a 13-mile long run, that, that's pretty long maybe for a lot of people listening still. But that's not unheard of to run a 12, 11, 12, 13-mile long run when you're training for a half. And so, and even beyond that, maybe you're even getting up 16 plus. But I think maybe that's too part of where it comes from is I, I had to run 12 to be able to run my, my half. And they're confusing the fact that I ran 12 as part of my training. I didn't have to run 12. I think a lot of times we can run a lot farther than we realize. I, I found this out because I got lost one time and I ran like 35 miles. So it's possible. You can run a lot farther than you think and a lot farther than you think you've trained for. But it, it's kind of trusting the, the whole process. And a lot of this all comes back to trusting the process. And, and Mark, I think you, your point too there about pushing the couch around the room, making sure that we're, we're moving things in the right direction and continuing to lean on the right levers and put the right stress in the right places to move the training where our final goals want to be. Uh, in this same vein, another one that comes up fairly often, and especially that I get with people who've run a few marathons, is they have the tendency to want to run close to marathon pace on a lot of runs, very, very many runs. And Mark, I think this comes back to a principle you've reiterated a few times on this one, but I'll let you take, take this one to start. Yeah, you know, I, I'm more into training a certain physiological system than I am a, uh, a specific goal pace. As we get closer to a race, we'll work more on goal pace. But for, 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 for some runners, their easy pace or their long run pace will be their marathon pace. 
but for other runners that won't be, and they may not run, you know, any hardly uh, uh, many long runs at, at marathon pace, but sometimes we'll add in portions of a long run or something that will be at marathon pace because we want to be familiar with that, that pace, but there's, you know, we don't, if, if that's not the right physiological point for you, uh, you're not going to get the most benefit from from running at that, uh, you know, for for your long runs, and and we need to you know switch it around and 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 work different elements. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, uh, you know try to fight that that mindset, and I I think it helps with me for with, with my runners is is I always ask them to ask me questions. I'm like you know this is I give them a part while we're doing this run and what we're trying to get out of it, but then you know ask ask me questions if they're if for some reason rather than think you know, well, I'm just going to do this at, at this pace, you know, ask me why I've told you to do it at this, this pace, because there's a reason behind, you know, what we're doing. And I think, I think even too, uh, within the, and this comes back to a lot of the points you've made too, is, um, your body doesn't know how fast it's running necessarily. It doesn't know how far it went. It just knows how long and what the effort was. And so that might be marathon pace. It might not be depending on the duration of your marathon and the goal of the workout. And that's, that's, I think that's a, a big picture point. I, I tell runners from, from personal experience and, and stuff, I'm not any, I was never any, any type of elite marathon runner, but, but in, in, in running a marathon myself, I used to do a, uh, I'd do a 24 mile long run. And then the next week I would do 20, but I'd run it what I call a, a brisk pace, a little bit, just a little bit, uh, a little, little bit quicker pace. And uh, for me, that's uh, a marathon pace felt a lot like that brisker pace. Um, the feel of it in a marathon was was very similar, but it wasn't the same exact pace. And so really, you know, my, I, I was very comfortable at marathon pace because I had done those runs um, and, and the feel was the same, even though the paces weren't the same. So yeah. just from, from personal experience and sometimes they uh, helps them relate to that and maybe trust the process. A little bit. Well, that's a great point, too. And this this is the question, Lindsay, I'd, I'd, I'd love your perspective on that. So one thing Mark just said was the, the issue that. You know, as you're a lot of times when you're in marathon training, you're running paces that feel as hard as race pace, but they're slower. And I think mm-hmm. this gets in a lot of people's heads. Oh, I guess marathon pace is 20 seconds slower than I thought because my, my long run at marathon pace felt really, really hard. How, how do you deal yeah. with that issue? And I think even from experience, like you just have to remember you're running, you know, on tired legs. And once the race comes, you know, this pace is going to feel a lot different. And I think going back to what Mark said is like every run has a very specific purpose. So, you know, if the goal is not to run, like I don't want you going all out and running like a marathon effort, you know, constantly. Um, and just knowing, you know, the importance of each day is, is really what it comes down to. But, um, but yeah, definitely not something that needs to be done. I mean, there are certain days that, you know, it really is important to practice marathon pace, but by no means is that, um, that every single run. Yeah. And I think we can, we can all get in our heads a little bit too much. And I think a lot of these come down to, we, we start overthinking things in our training and we lose sight of the the broader picture and the goals of training. And I know too, we're getting close to time. So maybe what I'll do, we'll do maybe uh, one or two last ones, depending on how quickly we can get through them. Uh, but one I'd like to really hit is uh, a common mistake. I don't think it's necessary. Maybe it is a misconception, especially for high school athletes, maybe for newer people to running is I need to get out blazing fast in that first hundred meters in a race to be able to be in the hunt. So maybe Lindsay, I'll let you start with this one and then Mark, you can follow up. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is important to, you know, get out in a race, but to to a point that is, you know, sustainable for you. Like if you go out and you're just completely gassed within the first five minutes that, you know, that just kind of ruins the whole race. So I think like going back to like, you know, knowing your body and knowing the effort you're putting in and realizing like, oh, wow, I, I want to get out quick, but I, I have a really long way. I still need to go. So just like reining it in a little bit, you want to be the one that's passing people in the end, not the one that's, that's getting passed. Mark, you want to roll yeah. with that one? Yeah, I, I always remind people that the majority of all world records have been set on even to negative splits. Uh, you know, and they, they didn't uh, generally, they didn't go blazing out at the, at the face. It's physiologically and psychologically, uh, psychologically, it's, it, it's not the best, the, the, the best way to run. The best way to, to, to run is to, is to ease into it, get into it, allow your body to get into full efficiency and then be very consistent throughout and then push it in at the end. Um, you know, and so that's how I recommend, uh, 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 people racing, um, you know, obviously in, maybe some high school and college cross country races, you don't have much of a choice because you have to get a certain position because of a course. But, but for most people, that's not going to be the, uh, uh, you know, that that's not going to be the issue. It, it's, a, it's about being under control and feeling controlled and, and, and confident and then running the way uh, uh, that you train. And, and if you have to run a certain way in a race, you need to train that way and, and practice it. If you want to run negative splits in, in races, try running negative splits on your tempo runs and your, in your workouts and ingrain that into your yourself so just like we said you're not trying to do anything different on race day than what you do in training yep no and i've i've certainly made this error myself in my own training uh which is getting out way too fast on marathon day my, my debut marathon i think i went out in something like 445 through the mile uh which was fantastic i was destroying everyone but uh didn't didn't turn out so well on the back end and Part of that's nerves, I think, and, and being unfamiliar with the race. Um, but two, I, th I think it's it's just kind of a silly thing that sometimes we, we think, oh, I got to be in a good position. And you can put yourself in a good position, but still be tucked in a little bit further back than right at the front of the pack, especially if you're looking to finish high. Uh, so something to keep in mind, which is controlling that early stage and thinking again about the, the broader uh, full race. But I know uh, we're coming up close on time, so we've got a few more, and I know there are lots more that we could talk about, but maybe we'll do that a separate time. So instead, maybe I'll just thank you both, uh, Lindsay and Mark, for your time joining me. I think this is a good conversation, hopefully really helpful to a lot of the listeners. And I'll put both of your, your info in the description, so if people want to reach out and get in touch with you, um, and we can go from there. But any last words, Lindsay, I'll let you go first, and then Mark. Yeah, I think just at the end of the day, like know yourself, know your body. And, you know, it, it is fun to read articles online and do Google searches. But at the end of the day, um, it might not be the best place always to get, you know, your information and, and everybody is different. So if you feel like, you know, you need to do something different than what you've read on the Internet, you know, that's probably actually a really good thing. So don't fall for some of these uh, these funny little misconceptions. Perfect. Mark. Yeah, exactly. I would I would echo uh, uh, what Lindsay just said, and and say that's one of the great things about having a coach is because we've weeded through all of these different things, and, and we have a lot of experience working with a lot of people over time, so we can start to help guide you through.
improve mm-hmm. some of this and make sure you don't make some of those mistakes. Because I tell people, you know, you, you spend a lot of time, if you decide to run a marathon or a half marathon, you're spending a lot of time and effort uh, you're putting into it. And so you don't want to make those mistakes that are going to sort of ruin it for you or cause you to get hurt and stuff. And so, uh, you know, it, it's good to get the most bang bang for your buck, the most, uh, you know, most benefit for the time that you're going to put into it. And, and a lot of times a good coach can help you, you know, guide you on that path to be able to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Having good trusted advisors, whether that's a coach, training partner, somebody who's more experienced, who can who can level you back out after you make that Google search and get excited about some new idea that you just found online. But perfect. I think those are great closing sentiments. Once again, Mark Hadley, Lindsay Flanagan, thank you for joining me. Uh, and like I said, link in the description for both their information if you want to find out more, as well as to the Facebook group page where we've got quite the community going. I know Mark is a is a common, uh, what would you say, uh, participant sure. in those chats. Yeah, so you can ask your questions there and get, get some advice. If you have something that you think might be a misconception, go drop it in there. Uh, but with that, thank you both again. And thank you to all the listeners for joining us this month. I hope you enjoyed this somewhat of a unique take on the Next Level Running podcast, having multiple coaches come on and talk about some of the the misconceptions in the running community. If you have any running partners or friends who have some of these misconceptions, this is a good time to share this episode so that they're aware and they can get uh, some of those misconceptions dispelled, uh, demystified perhaps is a good way to say that. But Thank you again for joining us. We'll be back here on the 13th of October, of course, that is, for the Instagram Live Running Replays with Will Benitez. So be sure to come check that out. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a ranking review, whatever you think is fair. And with that, I'll let you go. Go enjoy your run, or as I like to say, carpe corum. Go seize the run. Thank you for joining us here on the Next Level Running Podcast your source for training advice from the expert coaches at Run Doyen. If you're ready to take your training and racing to the next level, head over to rundoyen.com and get matched to your ideal coach who will provide you with the highly customized online training you need to start crushing your goals on race day.